After about a year being with him, they all decided to quit. They all quit and they decided to start their own company, another semiconductor company, which they called Fairchild Semiconductor. Okay, now they were so magaling, right? These eight young engineers, they were so magaling that in less than 10 years, they became the second largest semiconductor company in the world, right? Now, they were so successful, but they didn't stop having achieved that success. And what happens next is what many writers consider to be the most important event in business history in the last 100 years. Can you guess what they did? What do you think they did? Um, I so must we're talking sure, about I'm, I'm prior effective, huh? what, what do you think they did? Yeah. They shared their skill set with other people, or they shared their business model with other people. Parang ganon, well, right? So, yeah, well, they they started new companies, they began mentoring each other's companies, and you know, friends of friends' companies. They began investing in each other's companies, right? Mm. And they set in motion. I think what we can say was maybe the first observable multiplier effect. And good evening, good afternoon, good morning to wherever you're watching from here in the Philippines and from all over the world. And welcome to my podcast, the RJ Ledesma Podcast. In the RJ Ledesma Podcast, I like to interview the country's pioneering and trailblazing businessmen, entrepreneurs, and learn more about how they think about doing business. What are their success secrets? Can we emulate those success secrets in our own businesses? How have they innovated their businesses? How have they pivoted their businesses during the new normal? But more importantly, what do they see as the emerging opportunities amidst this pandemic and how we get out of this pandemic at the same time? Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please let me know. I would love to speak with them. I would love to learn from them. Just drop me a message. We're also live right now on Kumu, CBRC TV, Global Pinas TV, Bounce Back Network, and YouTube at the same time. Tonight, I'm very happy to speak to a guest who I admire very much. It was formerly uh, one of my co-office mates in our former flat in A-Space uh, pre-pandemic, our good friend Manny Ayala. Manny Ayala is the co-founder and managing director of Endeavor Philippines. Endeavor is the leading global community uh, for high-impact entrepreneurs. They define high-impact entrepreneurs as people with big ideas with the likeliest potential to build businesses that matter and can scale and the greatest desire to pay it forward by helping other entrepreneurs. So please welcome here right now live, Mr. Manny Ayala. Hey there, RJ. Glad to be here. I'm glad I made it right on time. I was fighting traffic <laughs> just to be here on time. Perfect. But thanks so much. You know, it's been quite some time since we've had a chat. Uh, our last chat has been a pre-pandemic, so I'm, I'm glad we're here right now. Uh, we used to be very close office mates uh, in the past. And when Mercato used to be in the same office as Endeavor, I would invite Manny for our taste tests. Hopefully one day, Manny, we can uh, we can do that again. Yep. And not only that, I, I go to your uh, Mercato in the fort every now and then. Thanks so much for the support. Thank you for supporting our small-scale food entrepreneurs. Yeah. Now, there's, I, the reason I got Manny here on the podcast right now is he's got, he's got a really great story about entrepreneurship here in the Philippines and how it's evolving. So uh, in our earlier shows, we get sort of like a micro perspective or we get to see how entrepreneurs are involving in their companies. But with Manny and the Endeavor team, we get to see the bird's eye view, what is happening and what is shaping entrepreneurship here in the Philippines. But before that, Manny, many people here might not be too familiar with what Endeavor is and what Endeavor does. I hope you don't mind uh, if you can explain a bit more about uh, Endeavor. I know I explained it. I, I shared a bit more like top lines of endeavor, but maybe you can get into it for people who are aspiring entrepreneurs and people who want to also be inspired by endeavor. Of course. So uh, endeavor is a community, right? It's a global community composed of entrepreneurs, composed of mentors largely, right? So at the moment we have over 1300 entrepreneurs and over 5,000 mentors spread across about 40 markets. And we've been at this now for about 25 years. Wow. And, um, you know, important thing to, to note is that we are a nonprofit, 
right? And our main focus as a nonprofit is really helping to scale up entrepreneurs by providing them with access to mentors and access to markets. Now, having said that, we also do have a fund. It's called the Endeavor Catalyst Fund, which invests only in Endeavor entrepreneurs. But, you know, let me go to a more kind of basic idea, right? The basic idea, mm -hmm. our core belief is that high impact entrepreneurs, which you described earlier, right? So these are uh, unusually good entrepreneurs who scale up their business, make it successful, and then pay it forward. Our core belief is that high impact entrepreneurs can transform entire economies. So how do we do that? What do we do? Well, we like to say we help to create a multiplier effect, right? Mm -hmm. How does that work? Well, it starts with you know inspiring these entrepreneurs to dream bigger. That's number one. And then number two, we support them so that they can scale up really, really large and really, really fast. And then number three, to then encourage them to pay it forward, right? So if you like, we have a social contract with them, right? Where we'll say, listen, we'll help you, right? By giving you access to mentors, giving you access to markets, giving you access to capital. Um, but here's the deal. Once you become successful, you pay it forward by doing the same thing to the next generation of entrepreneurs. Our hope is that you multiply yourself by 10. And then in that next generation, the hope is those 10 multiply themselves by 10 and so on and so forth, right? Which leads to the why are we doing this, right? The why is because we're trying to build thriving entrepreneurial ecosystems, right? And I'm, I'm happy to report that, you know, now this is uh, sort of our eight years of doing this. We really have seen a big change between, you know, year one and year eight. Wow, really great. And before that, for people who are interested to learn more about uh, Endeavor and Endeavor Philippines right now, uh, can we just share right now the link here on screen, Julio? So the link for Endeavor, if you want to learn more about them, is endeavor.org.ph for those who want to learn mm -hmm. more about the, uh, the organization. That's endeavor.org.ph. And if you want to learn more about Endeavor as a whole, they also have their global website, which is endeavor.org. Now, mm -hmm. earlier on, what Manny was trying to describe is just, you know, what their purpose is, what they're doing here in the Philippines, creating a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, making sure that there is a strong multiplier effect for more entrepreneurs to thrive, no? And I'm guessing, I'm guessing before we get into it, Manny, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, they were saying that in the Philippines, 99.5% of the businesses over here are micro, small, and medium enterprises, small family businesses. Yeah, that's right. It's the vast majority, by far the vast majority. Yep. And, and that be the vast majority. And, you know, we were, very, we're both very active also in uh, Go Negosho and these other, other social mm -hmm. enterprises within our ecosystem. And they're thinking that the best way for a country to rise above poverty is to really support yeah. entrepreneurship. Uh, That's right. as, as, as as something because you know people used to look down on entrepreneurs. I mean earlier on, you know, uh, the you know the the thinking for entrepreneurs is that you couldn't get a job. Therefore, you know you couldn't get a job in, a, in the formal sector. You could be an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer. You're an entrepreneur. But really, you know, why? Why is what, what? Give us a better way to think about entrepreneurship. Why is it so important, especially for developing economies? Um, gosh, why is it important? Well, I don't. I mean, I'm going to just speak um, personally about it, right? I feel that I achieve my fullest potential as an entrepreneur, right? That I spend my time and I spend my energy focused on things that, you know, really align with my own personal mission statement, right? And, uh, you know, I love this idea of creating something out of nothing, right? And, you know, these are, these are engines of job uh, creation. These are engines of wealth creation. So I look at, for instance, the, uh, the 33 entrepreneurs that we support in 2022 will end 2022 um, and they would have generated about 30 billion pesos of revenue, right? So the, imagine the, the, 33, uh, the 33 Filipino yeah. startup collectively. entrepreneurs. Collectively. Is that right? Yeah. Collectively. collectively. Wow. So, so you think about, you think about, well, what if they hadn't started those businesses, right? The mawawala yung 30 billion pesos in uh, in wealth creation. And, you know, another statistic which we're very happy about is, you know, they represent 30,000 jobs or almost 30,000 jobs. So, you, again, you think about this, right? If they hadn't started, where would these people have found jobs? 
right? And these are these are great jobs and exciting companies. And with that, no, let's get a bit more into the great news about about, about Endeavor here right now. I understand Endeavor right now has generated an impact report. And if you can yeah. just show that on screen here right now, uh, Julio, it's the endeavor.org.ph slash 2022-impact-report. And it's a very insightful and revealing report of us as to how uh, entrepreneurship has evolved here in the Philippines. Uh, yeah. And we call it right now, we can see it right now here, the Philippine multiplier effect. Can you share with us a bit more about the highlights of this report and how it yeah, impacts you know, us as entrepreneurs in the Philippines? Yeah, actually, before I go into the highlights of the report itself, I think I think it would be good to talk about where this idea of the multiplier effect comes from. Where have we seen this, mm -hmm. right? Because it's kind of related to, you know, our mission statement, Dubai, is we can transform entire economies on the back of these entrepreneurs that are very, you know, we say in Endeavor, right, they have to be 3M, magaling, matino, mapagbigay, right? So on the back of these entrepreneurs who are magaling, matino, mapagbigay, right, and they reinvest their success in other entrepreneurs, you create this multiplier effect. But the first place really that you think of or that we think of when we think multiplier effect is Silicon Valley, right? Mm -hmm. Silicon Valley, home to hundreds, if not thousands of the most iconic, the most valuable tech companies out there, right? And you ask yourself, well, how did Silicon Valley become Silicon Valley? Well, they benefited, you know, obviously from the presence of the U.S. Defense Department, which was investing in a lot of technology R&D in the 30s and the 40s. You had the presence of Stanford University, which had um, an engineering program. And, you know, as early as the 40s, these engineers were being encouraged to go off and start their own thing. But really, much of the credit for Silicon Valley goes to a, uh, a physicist, right, named William Shockley. So this physicist won a Nobel Prize in 1956. He was working for Bell Labs. He invented a transistor used in semiconductors, right? So this mm -hmm. is a critical invention for the whole semiconductor industry. But he decides to do something, right? He says, I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to take my invention. I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to become an entrepreneur. So he starts Shockley Semiconductor. Now, he decides that he's going to set this up not in the East Coast where he was, but all the way across the country to be near his ailing mother. I guess he was a good son, right? So he sets up in a small town, population 6,500 in California called, ready for this? Mountain View, right? <laughs> they know Mountain View is the headquarters of Google, right? And mm -hmm. other companies like Intuit, right? There's just dozens and dozens of companies in Mountain View. But back then, it was nothing, right? It really was nothing. And so, you know, you would be forgiven if, if you said, man, what a dumb idea, right? You're going to try to create a high-tech company. You're going to go all the way there. How are you going to find money? How are you going to find talent, right? Literally money in the boondocks, as they say in the States. It's all the way in the boondocks. Exactly, right? So fortunately for him, because of his Nobel Prize, he was able to raise money. Fortunately for him, because of his Nobel Prize, he was able to find eight young engineers. Right now, unfortunately for these eight young engineers, Mr. Shockley was a nightmare to work for. Oh, man. This was the kind of boss who would make his employees take lie detector tests. In fact, if you, if you do some research on William Shockley, some people consider him a paranoid schizophrenic. So he drove them insane, right? And he drove them so insane that one day, after about a year being with him, they all decided to quit. They all quit and they decided to start their own company, another semiconductor company, which they called Fairchild Semiconductor. Okay, now they were so magaling, right? These eight young engineers, they were so magaling that in less than 10 years, they became the second largest semiconductor company in the world, right? Now, they were so successful, but they didn't stop having achieved that success. And what happens next is what many writers consider to be the most important event in business history in the last 100 years. Can you guess what they did? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What do you think they did? Um, I'm not so sure. What what do you think they did? They shared their skill set with other people or they shared their business model with other people. Parang ganun, well, right? So, yeah, well, they they started new companies. They began mentoring each other's companies and, you know, friends of friends' companies. They began investing in each other's companies, right? Mm. And they set in motion, I think what we can say was maybe the first observable multiplier effect, right? Mm. And okay. to give you a sense of the scale of this thing, right? After or within 12 years after they left uh, Fairchild, they basically spawned 31 spin-off companies. And these are not little, you know, nothing pipichugin companies, right? These companies include Intel, right? So one of the Fairchild uh, engineers was a guy named Eugene Moore. And there's a theory in physics called Moore's Law, right? Which says that computer power doubles every 18 months, right? So he, mm-hmm. he coined that phrase, or that phrase was coined after him, right? And um, he set that up with another uh, another one of the engineers, Robert Noyce. Now, if you look, um, there are other companies like AMD, Applied Materials, National Semiconductors, right? Super big companies. These were some of the companies that came out of the Fairchild uh, group, right? On the VC front, two of the most well-known names, Kleiner Perkins, Sequoia, right? These all came from people who were at Fairchild. Now, this phenomenon, right, the multiplier effect, sometimes people refer to these eight as the Fairchild Mafia. This is mafia in a good sense, right? So these are like benevolent mafia guys, right? You know, these, these were the ones who people went to for help, right? So fast forward to today, right? If you look at, you know, the biggest companies in Silicon Valley, if you look at all the listed companies, about 70% of them can trace their roots back to these eight, right? Wow. So these include, these include companies like Apple, right? So for instance, with Apple, the uh, one of the heads of marketing at Fairchild was a guy named Mike Marcula. Mike Marcula met a partnership that was building a computer, right? He wrote the first check to them, $250,000. Right, this partnership was called Apple. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, you know. So these hundreds of companies that trace their roots back to them—they're called Fair Children, right? So they include companies like Google and Yahoo and Facebook and LinkedIn and WhatsApp, right? And dame, and dame. And what's really interesting, what's fascinating, is that this multiplier culture has come to define Silicon Valley, right? So much so that you know, more recent vintage. Have you heard of the PayPal mafia? Yes, yes, that's what I'm for. That's of our generation, more of our generation, yeah, right? Was, uh, so, 2002, right? eBay acquires um, acquires PayPal. So, all of a sudden, ang daming millionario, right? All of these guys that were early executives and founders in PayPal were phenomenally wealthy. And again, like with the Fairchild mafia, they didn't stop with that success. They did the same thing. They started building new companies. They started mentoring other people's companies. They started investing in other people's companies. Who are some of these people in the PayPal mafia? Well, just to name two, one of them was Elon Musk, right? Who started SpaceX, started Tesla, and then now owns Twitter. Another Mm -hmm. one who sits on the board of Endeavor in the US was Reid Hoffman, who founded LinkedIn, right? These folks in PayPal also went on to invest in big companies like Airbnb, sorry, when they were still earlier, Airbnb, Facebook, and Square. Okay. So you look at that, you look at Silicon Valley and say, oh my God, right? Yeah. So that's what really made the, uh, what do you call it? The flywheel, you know, move and accelerate more quickly, right? It's the presence of these mafias, right? These pay it forward multipliers. I see. So, so you know, the question I think Endeavor asked almost, you know, about two decades ago, who are celebrating our 25th anniversary this year, right? Congratulations, Philippines, Endeavor. Thank you. Philippines celebrating eight. 
but as a global organization celebrating 25. So back then, what we asked is, can you do this in emerging markets? Right? You know, sure, you can do this in Silicon Valley, Maraming Pera, they have universities, right? they have all this talent. Can you do this kaya in emerging markets? So what we did, right, is we put our researchers to work. And we did research in one of our first markets, which was Argentina. Mm-hmm. And we conducted a survey, right? And in that survey, we asked 200 entrepreneurs five questions. Who inspired you to become an entrepreneur? Who mentored you in your journey? Who invested in you? Where did you train before you started your own company? And what other companies did you start? And we began mapping all the connections, right? And what you come up with after you map them is like a big molecule, right? With little bubbles and big bubbles. So if you go to that multiplier map that's in the link, you should at some point see the Philippine ecosystem. But back in Argentina, when we did this, right, what we noticed was in the early days, not too many companies, not too many interactions, right? So you know, in the year 1999, for instance, first dot-com boom. Remember that? First dot-com mm-hmm. boom. You know, there were only 17 tech companies in Argentina. 17. And there wasn't much interaction between them. But when you fast-forwarded 15 years to 2014, there were now over 200 companies. And most importantly, you would see all these connections between them, right? So these were parang the mafias at work, trying to nurture some of the other companies in the ecosystem. The, the fascinating thing about this research is, you know, the more connections you have to other companies, in other words, the more mentoring and inspiring and investing and training you do, the larger your bubble. And what we see with Argentina is there's about, you know, six or seven, you know, much larger than normal bubbles. Those are the high-impact entrepreneurs, right? Those are the ones that people go to for help. And they're the ones who are generous enough to say, yes, I will help. What's also interesting is if you look at those big bubbles, most of them, usually three-fourths of them tend to be Endeavor companies, right? And, and it should be, be no surprise because that's how we screen, right? So we screen for people who are not only magaling, but also matino and mapagbigay, right? Now, In that impact report we did, you'll see the Philippine multiplier map, and you'll see the same thing that happened in Argentina, right? That there are beginning to emerge these larger than average bubbles, right? So if you look at our map, you you know, you'll see Nix Noliedo there, you'll see Ron Hose of Coins, you'll see Richard Mm -hmm. Elbridge of Lendo, you know, Paul Rivera of Caliber. You'll see Roland Ross and Rexy Durad of Great uh, of Kumu and see of Great Deals, right? Wow, wow, what a lineup! I mean, it's, I mean that is the Philippine startup scene right there. Um, you know what? What makes me happiest, frankly, what makes Endeavor happiest, it's not so much the market cap, you know, mm-hmm. or the size of the revenue. We say, you know, success should be defined not just as that, but also by the impact that you have in the wider ecosystem. And when you look at those folks I just mentioned, the reason their bubbles are bigger is because they had more inspiring and mentoring and investing, right, going on. That's what makes us excited, right? That's what makes, I think, the flywheel go faster, right, in the ecosystem. When you have inspirational, magaling, pay-it-forward characters like those. Wow. So... I mean, having said all that, it's it's truly incredible, and it's nice to know that you know. But when you're when we're looking at things, the same way that you said, we are looking at business history yeah. uh, from the from the Silicon Valley perspective. We're also looking at business history from a Philippine perspective. Absolutely, of how, absolutely. How startups are actually evolving things. So, if you look at the big bubbles over here, um, yeah. can, can you tell us a bit more of of how it's evolved over here in in the past couple of years? I know that, that this is part of the uh, entrepreneurial report that you guys have come up with in the impact yeah. report. Tell us a bit more about what, how is how is entrepreneurship evolving in the Philippines, and how has Endeavor actually uh, come in and 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 you know intervene to, to to help them become more impactful. Yeah, I guess you can say that you know for any entrepreneur to succeed or in any entrepreneurial ecosystem, therefore to succeed, you need three things, right? Entrepreneurs need access to capital. They need access to talent. And they need access to a market, right? So they need to be able to sell, right? And generate revenue. You know, 10 years ago, when you talk about capital, 
You know, I like to say that the entire VC industry that was based here could fit into my Star X, right? That's right. That's right. Pretty much. I mean, right. the years of money, it was, you know, you're, you're hard pressed to even explain, uh, you know, you, you if you're going to ask for a VC, you, you couldn't find any here in the Philippines or, you know, they'd be far, uh, few and far between. That's right. You say, are there any VCs here? When you say, what? Viet Cong? What VC? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, at that time, you know, I think it was it was really only kickstart, right? That's right. There And, you know, a, I had... A, a uh, local VC. A local venture capitalist, uh, for yeah. that matter. And then, you know, you had the, the foundation of Idea Space, right? Which was, which was under PLDT. And I had a little venture builder, right? Called Hatched. Um, That's right. Which gave birth to companies like Rappler and Pawn Hero and Purple Click, but really it was it was not very many. If you fast forward to today, right? There's so many more players, both locally and from overseas, who have set up here. You know what, what's interesting is I think 2021, from a investment point of view, was an inflection year for the Philippines, and I say that because. We saw some interesting things happen, right? We had a bunch of Series B financings all in one year. You had the first Series C financing. And then you began to see some of these super high-end, large global VCs come in and make an investment, right? So you had General Atlantic, which made an investment mm -hmm. in Kumu. KKR went into, um, into Grocery. Right, you had Tiger Global, which went into PIDAX, mm -hmm. right, and um, that was a watershed year. So before that, they had never really invested here. Diba? So what you can say is for sure, and what a difference a decade makes in terms of the absolute numbers. No, I mean twenty twenty one, the amount of capital that came in was about a billion dollars, which equals the four years preceding that combined. Right, that's combined. Now, what about talent? But when you look at the talent, um, I'll just give you one data point, right? In, in the last um, almost, what is it? Maybe the last two years, eight or nine companies from here have gotten into that prestigious tech accelerator called Y Combinator. That's right. Now, before and, and they're that, growing. I like, I like the idea that they're actually growing in number in yeah. terms of number of Filipinos, uh, Filipino startups qualifying for Y That's Combinator. Right. Before that, right, the first one was 2013. That was Caliber. And mm -hmm. then many years went by, voila, 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 right? And then 2018 was PayMongo. And then, uh, you know, and then from there, you began to see more people applying. And, you know, here we have, as I said, about nine in the last two years. You had like NextPay, uh, Mad Eats, yeah. uh, and several others, yes. You're also beginning to see more sort of corporate refugees, right? So people that were, you know, kind of high-flying in the corporate world deciding to take the plunge, right? Which is a little bit rarer in the early days. An example of that would be the E.R. Rolian, the, the uh, co-founder of Grocery, who was mm -hmm. working, you know, as a management consultant at BCG and then worked at, I think it was Unilever, right, in FMCG. So you're beginning to see more and more people like that as well. And then the last thing is market, right? Last thing is market. When you look at gross merchandise value, right? That's the amount of the, the, uh, the dollar value of everything sold online. In 2020, we were about 7 billion. And then that, dub that almost doubled, right? That almost doubled to 18 billion uh, by 2021. Uh, 10 years ago, that it would have been a fraction of that, right? So we, on all three fronts, right? We've come as, as the used to say in that Virginia Slim cigarette ad, you've come a long way, baby. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, Manny, I'm wondering, you know, when you look at the history of, you know, how, how the startups grew bigger, bigger, where, where the bubble became bigger for us, was yep. there an inflection point over here in the Philippines where well, all of a sudden... You know, 2021 to me was an inflection point, right? Uh, with the amount of capital that came in, with the kinds of investors that came in, right? That, to me, sent a very clear signal to the rest of the world, the Philippines is hot, right? The Philippines being hot, I have a question. Is it because globally, uh, or at least the Philippines startups are becoming bigger, or was there a demographic change here or something where they were saying the Philippines, it's a good time to come in right now because they were trying yeah. to, before, before they never saw Philippines as a market, but, market, uh, but now it's becoming a legitimate market because of the population. You, you know, I used to talk about the perfect storm of the Philippines. My God, 10 years ago pa, 
right? I said, <laughs> perfect storm, why? Because we have a very young population, right? Average age, 24 point something. And they're all digitally savvy, right? I used to say they're, we are a nation of uh, ADD, right? Addicted to digital devices because mm -hmm. our usage metrics were off the chart, right? up to now. Who are the top 10 or the top five countries for usage for Facebook, for Twitter, for Instagram, right? It's us, right? And then on top of that, you add the fact that the Philippines for, you know, the better part of 20 years has had a, has had a very good macroeconomic run, right? We've been growing generally from 5 to 7% per year, you know, with mm -hmm. some, some exceptions like the global financial crisis, right? But by and large, we've been growing much, much more briskly than the rest of the world. So that perfect storm, I, I used to argue 10 years ago, right? This, this may, means it's the perfect time to invest in the Philippines. Well, that proved to be a little bit early, but you're now seeing that all of these factors have contributed to real money, big money being spent online. Right, whether it's advertising, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's subscriptions for this or that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Manny, when you, when you look at the different businesses that, that, that actually qualify, qualified to become Endeavor businesses, are you seeing sort of like, I mean, they can be from disparate industries, but are there common denominators aside from being high impact? Is there something about them that you really like, that you've seen that, you know, that, yeah, that you know, a bit different from others? I, I guess the first other thing, countries. Yeah, I guess the first thing I'll say is that we, we consider ourselves to be industry agnostic. So mm -hmm. if you look at the companies in our portfolio, we have both tech and non-tech. And, you know, within tech, you know, it's everything under the sun, pretty much. I would say if you look at the framework for how we evaluate our entrepreneurs, we look at three things. We look at the entrepreneur, we look at the business, and we look at the timing. So with respect to the entrepreneur, you know, you know, obviously they have to have the classic, you know, skills of an entrepreneur, right? They have to be scrappy, they have to have grit, they need to be able to raise money, they need to be able to, you know, build a team, you know, all that stuff. But beyond that, we say, is this entrepreneur uh, somebody willing to grow and learn, right? Are they going to be receptive to mentoring? Because our sweet spot is mentoring, right? So if they're not willing mm -hmm. to be mentored, parang sayang lang, right, to be an endeavor. So we ask, is this entrepreneur somebody that's willing to learn and grow? And then we ask, is there any evidence that this entrepreneur is going to pay it forward, right? Because again, if you're magaling, but you're not mapagbigay, it's, it's a little bit hard to be in this network because we, we have uh, expectations of you as an entrepreneur. So that's on the entrepreneur side. On the business side, you know, we ask uh, the usual questions. Is it a large market that you're chasing? Because if we're going to expend all these resources and let's say you have really perfect product market fit, but it's such a teeny tiny market, are you really high impact, right? How many lives are you actually impacting? So is it a large market? And hopefully it's a large and growing market. We also ask, is what you're doing innovative? Is it transformative? Is it disruptive? Right? Because part of the deal here is we want our entrepreneurs to be inspiring right? to the rest of the world. And how can you inspire the rest of the world if you know what you're doing is, you know, an also ran, you know, been done many times before kind of model? 
So we ask, is it innovative and transformative and disruptive? In terms of the timing, what we ask is, is this company at an inflection point? In other words, it's ready for takeoff if only it had more support, right? If only it had the support of, you know, 5,000 mentors and 1,300 other entrepreneurs and the staff, right? Wow. Like the staff in the Philippines. Now, in terms of, uh, I would say, concentration, I would say the vertical with the most entrepreneurs in Endeavor Philippines would be fintech, right? Fintech. And I don't think anyone should be surprised, right? Because you look at that statistic of what, 70% unbanked and you say to yourself, okay, well, somebody's going to come in and figure out a way to bank the unbanked. And you know what? That's what they've done. They're trying to figure out ways to get to that 70% that isn't part of the formal banking sector. Uh, if you don't mind, this is a great place for people to learn. What is just sample, samples of the best, you know, the most high impact fintechs that you've seen? Why do you think they're really great for the country? Well, you know, our our first fintech was uh, Coins.ph, right? And I Ron think, Hose. Coins, yeah, Ron, that's Ron Hose, and he, you know, part of his part of his uh, technology was blockchain. That was very important because it got people to really think of this as a you know as a daily part of their lives, right? An e-wallet, right? And uh, I think I think they were more nimble, right, than the incumbents, although over time the incumbents got so big and, you know, that momentum has, has done really well. But, you know, back then when he was starting, I think he really helped to popularize the idea of sort of digital payments, right, digital money transfer. And, you know, he, he got rewarded because he got acquired by Gojek back in 2019, right, for, for a large sum of money. And for a large sum of money. Now, the thing that makes me happiest, actually, is not so much that Ron was able to exit, but the fact that Ron spent so much time mentoring these young entrepreneurs. In fact, you, you can find Ron, you know, <laughs> there's a good chance you'll find Ron up in that entrepreneur community in La Union, right? So he hangs out there. And, you know, th there's been a whole community of entrepreneurs that grew up during the pandemic. Right. Exactly, exactly. So aside from coins, which are the other fintechs that you've also brought on board to Endeavor? Which one? You really... Yeah, so there's a company called Lendo, started by Richard Eldridge. That's um, a credit scoring company. Uh, there's a company called First Circle, which is online lending, started by Patrick Lynch, who's an ex-Morgan uh, Stanley banker. Um, mm -hmm. There's a company called Ayana of Miko Perez, which is a online payments platform. It's, a, I guess, a neutral, interoperable payments platform, right? So he can, he can connect with a whole host of cash-in, cash-out uh, points, you know, whether it's a Palawan pawn shop or a human being with a, with a mobile phone, right? And then uh, recently we had Tonic, right, which is a neobank started by Greg Krasno. And we've also helped a... Um, an Endeavor entrepreneur from South Africa, right? Running a company called Time Bank. That's another neobank, Time Bank. So here they've partnered with the Gokongways. It's, and it's called uh, GoTime. GoTime. GoTime, yeah. That's right. So okay. it's a lot, right? a lot happening. Yeah. A lot happening in our, sp our space over here. And, and having said that, I hope you don't mind. Uh, I want to pick your brains a bit more over here, Manny, as, as people hmm. look. Uh, you know, because I mean, to be part of the Endeavor system is it's just it's it's laudable, but at the same time, they go through a, a sort of like a strict process. What yeah. would you what would you say to you know? It's our turn to give us some advice for entrepreneurs listening here right now, yeah. and they would like to be part of the uh, Endeavor Philippines program. Yeah. How do they how do they qualify? If they start to apply to you, what's the process for them? What 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 should they look for? How do they make themselves endeavor ready? Yeah, let me, let, me, let me describe the process. Now, that might be the best way of answering your question. Let mm -hmm. me just describe the process how somebody becomes an endeavor entrepreneur. So we have um, a process, right, which typically takes twelve to eighteen months, right, which starts with what we call a first opinion review. That's a one-hour meeting with me and my staff where we try to understand, will you fit into that criteria that I described you know, about the entrepreneur, the, the business, and the timing, right? And if we say, yep, I think, you know, there's potential here, we'll have them do another four to five one-hour meetings over, over several months, right, with some of our mentors, either mentors from the Philippines or mentors from overseas or both. 
right? Again, it's a one-hour format. The, the, the way the meeting is run is the entrepreneur will describe the business, and then it'll be 45 minutes of Q&A, and then typically five minutes of the mentor dispensing some advice. You know? Obviously, before the meeting, we collect data from the entrepreneur. So we'll do four or five of those meetings. We call those second opinion reviews. If they've gone through that and we still think, yeah, bagay patos endeavor, right? We will have them go to a local selection panel, right? That's a little bit like a Shark Tank event. So mm-hmm. typically at a LSP, local selection panel, we'll invite two to three companies who will be reviewed, but typically by six people grouped into three groups of two. And again, same format, right? One hour interview. Now, the difference with the LSP is at the end of these interviews, the six panelists will get together around the table and they'll have a debate. And the only thing they're trying to answer in that debate is, is this company ready to go to the final stop, right? Which is the International Selection Panel or ISP. That's a global shark tank. But rather than three companies, you know, there might be 26 companies from all over the world with panelists from all over the world, putting them to the exact same process of an interview. And then at the end, they have the deliberations just among the panelists. Some, uh, I guess, some quantitative benchmarks, right? Typically, when you get to a local selection panel, we want you to be doing three to five million US dollars in annual revenue already, right? So we like to say we're about scale-ups, not so much about startups. Mm -hmm which is why we like working with the likes of Kubo, right? 917 Ventures. We see hopefully some of the early stars through some of these places that help them at a very early stage. So as I said, at an LSP, three to $5 million in annual revenue, growing fast, right? 80 to 100% a year. By the time they get to an ISP, we're hoping that they're doing five to 10 million. And again, growing at 80 to 100%, right? Uh, does that answer the question? Yeah, and then eventually, um, what have you seen in terms of the profile of the, the, the sort of companies that, that are joining? I mean, I know you're industry agnostic, but then have you, I mean, aside from fintech being a sort of, you know, financial inclusion as being something that's very key, um, what are the other companies also that, that, you know, they want to be part of Endeavor, but at the same time, you know, they're good for the good for the development of the country. What have you seen yeah. uh, as good to, 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 to go through the Endeavor program? So great deals is an e-commerce enabler, right? That's not fintech. Um, Kumu is not fintech, right? That's a live stream platform. You have Equilife Medical, right? Which is critical care equipment. They they both sell as well as lease and service these machines. Um, you know, we had an entrepreneur from early on called PSG Global Solutions, right? That is a recruitment process outsourcing company. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what? These guys just exited. They were acquired by Teleperformance for a large sum of money, right? Which was which was which was amazing. On the non-tech front, we have people like Zark's Burgers, right? Zark's. What an amazing story that we had with Zark. Do you know the Zark story? Um, he was an OFW. He was a he was an OFW when he came back, right? Yeah. Listen, you know, I think you know he he took up HRM in college. Um, I can't yeah, remember studying Bacolod or Iloilo, right? So his dream was always to be in the food business. And I guess to uh, deepen his learning, he worked at, in the kitchen of an outback restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. Did that for a bit. And then from there, right, to continue his learning, went and worked in the kitchen of a cruise liner, one of these big cruise liners, right? Mm-hmm. And once he had felt he had learned enough, saved enough, he started a kiosk, right? That kiosk became a restaurant. So his first restaurant was on Taft Avenue across La Salle, right? That mm-hmm. one restaurant, Guess how many outlets today? A hundred? No, it's about, almost 80, right? Almost 80, right? 80. And you think, oh my gosh, right? What What if he hadn't started that business? What if he decided to do something else? Think about how much value he's created. Right? Uh, we also have Laybear, which is you know the largest waxing salon chain in the Philippines. That was Paolo Hilario and his sister started that, right? Again, from one store to, my gosh, I think almost 100 stores yata. Across across the country, um, with all these different stories, I know that you're telling us that you know the intervention that Endeavor brings is also the sort of mentorship that that comes into the picture. Uh, can you give me an example of, let's say, for example, so 
of somebody qualified, uh, a, a startup or a business qualified for Endeavor? And how did their, I guess, did their plans change? Did they pivot or were they just able to scale much better as a result of, of Endeavor coming in? You know, can you share with yeah. us a case study? Of that? What, one of my favorite pivot stories was the story of Kumu, right? Kumu, which is so famous now, which disrupted the media industry. When they set out to create their business, they weren't thinking live stream. They wanted to be a social media platform like Kakao, right? Or like WhatsApp. They wanted to create the WhatsApp for the Philippines, right? So they start to build that thing, you know, and actually one of their interns discovered, right? Looking at all the data of what was actually being used in the platform, she noticed, wow, the heaviest usage was coming with this in this little live stream function in the background, right? And when they saw that, they said, oh my gosh, I think I think that's the future, right? So they pivoted to that. And that's why today, that's the core of what they do, right? It's a uh, live stream platform. Amazing, amazing. And what did, how did, uh, I guess, after the interns saw that one, they were able to pivot that one. How about Endeavor? What does Endeavor also help? I mean, when, when the intervention of Endeavor came in to say, okay, can you give us an example where a mentor came in and said, okay, it's doing good, but this one, when you do this one, the business is going to accelerate, and it actually did. You know, our, our role really is to, you know, we, we typically, we, the staff, typically don't play the role of mentor, right? Although, okay. you know, we often do give them, you know, some, some advice, but it's largely finding the perfect subject matter expert, right? Finding mm -hmm. the right, the perfect mentor to address an issue that they have. So it could be this person really needs to raise capital, right? So we're going to look for somebody that knows their vertical, their segment, right? In their stage of fundraising. Say, hey, give this guy Naman some advice, right? On, you know, who he should be raising from. Or we'll make introductions to people that we think should be looking at him, you know, and writing a check for a company like his. Or it could be, you know, this company has to make changes to the org structure. They might have to reduce their headcount. Well, we'll go look for an entrepreneur that has done that before, right? Because these are tricky mm. things, right? You don't yes, just exactly. don't say, okay, 100 of you, you're out, right? You have to do this in a very humane way that doesn't destroy the culture. But how do not you in do that? Twitter, not, in, not in Twitter fashion, but in a more humane way. Not in Twitter fashion, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I still, sorry, uh, this is just an aside. I remember because part of my uh, career before was in the media, right? And I was working in Turner Broadcasting. I heard this story of how Ted Turner fired his son because his son was working for the company so mm -hmm. he was at the breakfast table reading the paper like this right and then the son comes in right so he looks puts the paper down looks at the son and says son you're toast and goes back to his newspaper <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully hopefully hindi ganyan right hopefully hindi ganyan yeah. right so, yeah, so, so this, is, this is really the thing um rj right businesses have a whole host of issues right whether it has to do with market entry, in which case we'll try to find you the right connections, right? You know, for, take for instance, right? You want to go into Indonesia. Imagine if you had no connections in Indonesia, how many cold emails you'd have to send, how many cold calls you'd have to make, how much mm -hmm. knocking on doors you'd have to do. Versus because where there's an endeavor in Indonesia, we'll go and work with the Indonesia office and we will find the perfect people for you to talk to with a very warm introduction, right? So that has the endorsement, right, of Endeavor Indonesia. I mean, that's priceless, right? I mean, how would you exactly. put a value on something like that? Uh, if, you're, if your issue is, is money, it's two things, right? We, we have a lot of people who have raised money and can give you advice on how that works. But we can also introduce you to the VCs themselves, right, who we think would be interested in your particular business, right? Again, as I told you, organizational stuff, right? There's a whole bunch of people, expert in HR, and we can even match you with people from your same vertical, right? Oh. So if you're an e-commerce guy, well, let's go and find an e-commerce person in LATAM, Latin America, right? Who has lived your present 10 years ago, Diba? Getting the big boys to help the, the younger boys. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. 
people who have been bigger. there done that, right? I mean, that's priceless. Exactly. Looking at the Philippines right now, and you've got this opportunity where you have a bird's eye view of entrepreneurship and where, where trends are going, how the economy is going. What do you see as emerging opportunities for entrepreneurs, both in the startup and the non-startup world? What you've been seeing so far, you know, you've seen fintech is financial inclusion is one thing. Yeah. Um, social media is one thing because you've seen the growth live streaming through Kumu. Uh, and you've also seen the growth of e-commerce. What, are these, what do you see as other opportunities where entrepreneurs can still leverage, leverage their skills and grow bigger? Yeah, uh, let, me, let me say a few things. Um, first, have you heard of the Iron Triangle of Jack Ma? Um, yes, yes, I have. Actually, actually, the Alibaba Netpreneur class. But then please uh, re-enlighten us again. Yeah, because I guess the way Jack Ma looked at it, right? There were three critical components to the internet economy. You have e-commerce, you have fintech, and then you have logistic, right? So if you look at the Philippines, Meranang e-commerce, right? With Lazada, Shopee, Zalora, you know, as I said, there's a whole host of fintechs arising, but there's not that many in logistic, right? We actually have one in, in uh, Endeavor now. Uh, this is a company called Intelluck, which just joined the network this year, right? Run by uh, a very inspiring uh, young Chinese entrepreneur named you know, Kevin Zhang, right? Who came here because, you know, they have a family business and he was assigned to come here. Didn't, was kind of bored with that business. And he said it was all about making more and more and more money. Whereas what he wanted to do was, you know, how can I, you know, make an impact in a, in a society? And what he saw was his big gaping hole in logistic. Mm -hmm. That's what he chose oh. to do now. And now he's spreading his wings in Thailand. Huh? So it's not just the Philippines, but it's Thailand. Wow. So that's you know, what I is logistic. Yeah. Logistic. Now, and what else? Then, then, then the other things, right, that still need to be solved, actually, even within fintech, right? Lending, who's doing lending successfully, right? I think there's a lot of room for lending. There's a lot of room for insurance, right? We're a very underinsured nation. I think one of the most underinsured in uh, all of Southeast Asia. Then, of course, you have the whole health sector, right? So many people don't have access to good, affordable healthcare. So you're now seeing the rise of health tech companies. So one of our entrepreneurs, Si Abed Valenzuela of Equilife, has started, and we're so happy she did because it's so endeavor. She started a venture builder called Pulse 63, which is incubating a bunch of these health tech companies. Nice, very nice, very nice. Okay, other sectors, you know, basically you just think Pilipinas, right? And that'll be a good place to look. So education, right? As you know, education is a challenge for us. So there's a bunch of ed tech companies that are uh, that are coming up. Like uh, like education of uh, Henry Mott Henry Munoz. Mott. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and, and then the yeah, just today, right? Just today, I was at a conference. It was called the mm -hmm. Agri Food Tech Summit. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, this is, I think, a very interesting place to look because you know we're a big uh, producer and consumer of food, and you know the question you can ask is: Has technology touched this sector? And I would say very minimally, right? There's so many opportunities to digitalize mm -hmm. this whole sector, right? Make it. How do you make it more productive? How do you uh, how do you make financing and payments more accessible to farmers, right? Andame, andame. So that that I think is quite exciting. You know, when you talk, when you when I hear you talk, and I see also all the different uh, entrepreneurs have come into Endeavor. Uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression often is, is that sometimes it takes people who don't come from the Philippines, foreigners who look at the Philippines and can see the problems that many Filipinos often take for granted. And these players actually build these, these, these startup companies which solve these problems. Uh, as you can see from something like Coins or, 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 or Lendmo, these are, these are not actually Filipinos, but uh, these are actually foreigners who saw the problems here which Filipinos have taken yeah. for granted. What do you think about that? I think there's kind of a pattern, right? When you, when you look at emerging markets and you look at the growth of entrepreneur ecosystems, there seems to be a pattern, right? And I, I kind of distilled it this way, right? Very often in the first wave, you'll see expats, right? Mm -hmm. But these are people say, who have had a lot of experience elsewhere. They've built businesses elsewhere. They've seen problems and how they get solved elsewhere, right? So they go hunting for places where there are problems that haven't been solved yet, right? 
and they have the confidence to start something. They have the network to to raise money and the network to hire a few critical people to start the business with, right? Then after the expat wave, you'll, you'll very often see a repat wave, right? So these are people who either were educated, you know, overseas and then came back or even philams, you know, like Roland and, mm-hmm. and Rexy, you know, visited, cool. but then they decided to set up their business here, right? And then what you see is what I call the dapat, right? You see, you go from expat to repat to dapat, right? So the, the <laughs> like guy who may not have necessarily had all of this foreign exposure, right? But what they do know really well are the local problems, right? And, you know, it's great because they get inspired, you know, when they see other people building businesses here, right? They get inspired to, to follow suit and they, they think, oh, you can actually create something and make money. And, you know, my, my parents won't say I'm a loser, right? Because I didn't go and work for Citibank or, uh, or McKinsey. <laughs> yeah. Dapat lang, dapat lang mga Pinoy gumagawa yeah, ng mga yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really great thing. But it's been a really great conversation we've been having with you. I wish we had a lot more time over here. But as we start wrapping things up, in your vast experience, uh, mm-hmm. both as heading Endeavor and also when you were doing some venture capital work earlier on, yeah. can you share with us maybe three or four key management insights that you've gained over the years and which we can share with the different entrepreneurs here right now who are listening to the program? What, what can they do to sort of like short circuit or expedite their process towards building their and scaling their businesses? Well, you know, the first one I'll just regurgitate, right? Which has to to do with being a multiplier, right? So at Endeavor, we say we need to encourage people to redefine what success means. That success isn't simply the size of your bank account or your market cap or your valuation. Success, in fact, is really the kind of impact, the positive impact you have in an ecosystem, right? So think beyond yourself when you think about what you want to achieve, Diba. And maybe my last one, right? The second one, I'll just give you two in Alanga. Okay, sure. My second one actually is, you know, just to borrow a phrase from Simon Sinek, right? When you're building your business, start with why, right? And, you know, and, and really what that means is, to be a purpose-driven entrepreneur, right? To be chasing something you care very deeply about. Because what I've noticed that what I've observed is it's the purpose-driven entrepreneurs, these people with a passion for solving something that have the most endurance, that have the most grit, right? It's like a dog with a bone, right? They won't let go of it. Mm-hmm. By contrast, I've noticed a lot of the people that are in it first for the money, when things go sour, when seas get rough, very often they'll give up now and they'll move on to the next thing to make money, right? So I would say those two things, right? Is one, be a multiplier, right? Pay it forward. Because I am sure that in your life, somebody has paid it forward to you, right? That you have stood on the shoulders of someone, right? And so all we're trying to encourage uh, entrepreneurs is, well, after that, you should become the shoulders of somebody else. Right. And then, you know, again, the last one is be a purpose driven entrepreneur. Right. Focus on that big thing that's greater than yourself that you're trying to achieve in the world. Thank you so much for sharing, Manny. I'm, I'm, I'm very inspired as well. I'm hoping one day, maybe even uh, the companies which I run and manage, hopefully become part of Endeavor because they are purpose driven. And hopefully yeah. uh, the income which they generate are just part and parcel of being purpose driven and helping the economy grow here at the same time. For those who want to join again, Endeavor, interested to find out more about Endeavor, again, you can you can visit their website. That's endeavor.org.ph. And if you want to, let's, Julia, let's put it there on screen right now. That's endeavor.org.ph. And also, if you want to check out uh, their impact report and learn more, more about the big bubbles or the companies that are changing the face of entrepreneurship here in the Philippines and having that multiplier effect to grow more entrepreneurs in the country, you can check out the report. That's the endeavor.org.ph slash 2022 dash impact dash report again thank you so much for your time Manny I hope to see you very soon in church again uh, where we always get to catch each other thank you so much Manny RJ it was my pleasure loved it and uh, more power to you and the show again thanks again Manny this has been the RJ Ledesa podcast we will see you guys in the next podcast thanks so much guys see you have a great night thank you good night
The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.